0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking with one of the groups behind a proposal to redevelop Hamilton's downtown entertainment district, the arena, the convention center, all of that. Vrancor is one of two groups so far that want to use private money to redevelop that part of the city. But as we will discuss, I was always told if something sounds too good to be true, check it out. Well, we're going to be checking it out. We're also going to chat about municipal taxes versus federal and provincial taxes in the way that they are collected. One way, while neither is appetizing, one way seems to be so much better. So much better. We'll talk about that one. And then we're going to chat about Super Bowl prop bets and what can the NFL do to finally get a proper number of minority coaches? Because so far, whatever they're doing doesn't seem to be working. All that's coming up. Enjoy.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: I don't have to tell you that it's been a number of years now that the city has been looking at First Ontario Centre, what used to be Cops Coliseum and its convention centre facilities and everything else, and trying to figure out what to do with these things. It's going to cost a lot of money to fix them up. The city doesn't want to spend that money. It would prefer to offload these and not have tax dollars go into it. And so, as I say, it's been a number of years and trying to solve problems. Well, suddenly, in the last number of months, you cannot swing a dead cat without hitting a developer who wants to put money into doing something for a new arena. Michael Ann Lauer, owner of the Bulldogs, as you know, proposed, along with Cadillac Fairview, a redevelopment of an arena at Lime Ridge Mall. And now we have the Mercanties who are behind a consortium that want to build something downtown. And you have Vrancor Group, which is also wanting to rebuild, redevelop that downtown area with the entertainment facilities. It's lots of options suddenly in front of the city. I want to bring you, we want to talk about this because I think it's really important to know what these are. And as I said, just before we came back from the break, you want to believe that what you're hearing, which sounds very, very appetizing is, well, Mario Frankovic represents Vrancor and he joins us now. Mario, thanks for doing this today. Hello, Mario. Hello. There you go. Now we got you. Thanks for doing this today. I appreciate it.
2: Uh, My pleasure, and it's good to be on the show.
0: So just as a Reader's Digest version to try and keep this straight, because as I say, there are all these development ideas flying around, just so we know what you guys are proposing here. And let me just give the Reader's Digest version, and you can correct me where I'm wrong, uh, that you would renovate the arena, that you would double double the size and renovate the convention center you would build a 250 room hotel and you would add a couple office towers down in that area am I pretty close
2: that's awfully close
0: okay Uh, and and this would cost uh, private money private this is all private money would be in the neighborhood of say 200 million dollars give or take that's correct and the other part about this that I think has caught a lot of attention from people and certainly I think from what I'm hearing from the city Is the fact that the city would still own the facilities, the city would still own the land upon which the facilities sit, and the city would not be doing any of the operating. You guys would be doing all the operating and maintaining of this stuff, correct?
2: For the arena and for the concert hall, the city would continue to own the land, own the facilities, and we would operate those two facilities under license uh, from the city. Okay, so. And we, and we would absorb the risk for operating those facilities, not looking for a subsidy.
0: Which sounds, Mario, and, you know, I mean, look, on, on its face, this sounds like a pretty sweet deal for the city to say that the city almost has no risk in this, as I understand it.
2: Uh, it really is a, a risk free proposition in terms of not having to put money uh, into the project, either from borrowing money nor from. Uh, reserves for the construction, and there is no requirement to, to subsidize. So it, that sounds pretty no risk.
0: Uh, you you can understand that part of my job requires me to be a bit skeptical at times, And uh, and my dad taught me long ago, as I said before, that if something sounds too good to be true, check into it, make sure it isn't. This sounds almost too good to be true, that the city would get all the stuff it wants with really, as you say, no risk, no taxpayer's money. How could that work? And then how could the people, the person behind your development, make get a return on their investment that would warrant this kind of money?
2: Well, first off, your dad's a pretty smart guy. He is. And uh, that is a very fair question. And skepticism, I think, should be the order of the day for anything that... Uh, sounds too good to be true. I was in the investment industry and finance 40 years, and that was a cardinal rule. If it sounds too good, check it out. Uh, what we have is a very unique uh, circumstance uh, with with Brandcore in that they have invested such a substantial uh, amount and, and are very vested in the downtown as we sit. And so there is a motivation for Brandcore to look at doing things that are creative. And uh, with the vested interest that Rancor has in the downtown core, anything that would, anything that would cause the core to become more vibrant, uh, more dynamic, uh, more valuable, would be very appealing to at least uh, investigate. And uh, there is a for-profit motive here. Uh, Rancor believes that, uh, well, let's take a step back. Rancor owns and operates 21 hotels. Uh, through Ontario, uh, it has uh, over 15 or 1600 employees, so it understands the hospitality business, and uh, will expect that building another hotel will be a profitable endeavor. Uh, Brancourt runs three conference centers, so it believes that uh, the convention facilities can be profitable, uh, and and. You know there are ways that uh, we'd love to look at optimizing how uh, it can be uh, profitable to the maximum extent possible. So there there will be profits expected from the operation of uh, what is being taken over. I think one of the big things as well is that with the complete reinvention of the facilities at the arena at the convention center, we're talking about event location, and uh, we are expecting that uh, uh, brand-new facilities will re- not just revitalize, but will create a lot of revenue opportunities. So there will be an expectation to make profit on the hotel, on the convention center. Uh, there will be uh, uh, increased value for um, uh the vested interest that Rancor has in the downtown, but I think the one thing that we do have to remember too is when I when I've gone to the meetings at council, Scott, the the conversation was, and the city has the ability to do permits and licenses and zonings, and there seems to be an an invitation on the table to talk about doing. Even more than
0: the 200 million that we're talking about. Well, let me jump in for a sec, Mario, because we got to take a break. You're
1: listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Talking about one of the talking with the person behind one of the proposals for a new redevelopment of the downtown entertainment district, entertainment zone, entertainment cluster, whatever you choose to call it. Uh, Vrancor is the name of the company. Mario Frankovic is representing them. And Mario, just before the break, I'm sorry I had to cut you off there, but you were mentioning that there is an opportunity perhaps to go beyond the $200 million, that there could be, I suppose, spinoffs into the downtown beyond this if this were to really catch fire.
2: Yeah, that's correct. I mean, And really, that's an area where we want to, explore we want to listen and see what is it that that council had in mind and and we're very interested in being creative about it i mean take uh, the office buildings being built into the arena Uh, there was a lot of wasted space uh, undeveloped space there and uh, quite frankly when uh, uh, councillor marula first pointed out airspace well you start to think about airspace uh, over the arena. And and that represents a profit opportunity to build a a couple of office buildings. Uh, So the real question is, what does Council have in mind? And uh, what are the opportunities? What are the options? And we will listen and hopefully we'll find some additional creative things to do.
0: In the uh, now, it, uh, the first um, term sheet that I saw, and it was just a pricey of what it was, came out last week. And in that one, the office towers weren't mentioned. And there was a follow-up to it that came out a couple of days ago that mentioned the office towers. Were they always part of the plan and just not in the first one? Or is this a fluid thing and new ideas are coming up? And so we said, okay, let's put in office towers.
2: Well, well Scott, we've been working on this for months. So the the notion of the office towers was was there. The reason behind separating the two announcements was we didn't want the office towers to be lost in a very large message. Uh, Building two new office buildings that are grade A buildings in downtown Hamilton is a seminal moment. It's It's a turning point for downtown. When was the last time someone built privately? I'm not talking about the federal government building, the federal building on Bay and the province being involved with uh, the Lister Block, but, it blocked, but a true mm-hmm. private office development. Uh, it's a turning point. And so we really wanted to highlight that as a turning point, uh, a turning point in confidence about the downtown, a turning point to say, hey, for decades now, we've had... Uh, office contraction and and a contraction quite frankly in the tax base for commercial office well why don't we you know look to stem that and not just stem it but turn it in a different direction and and one of the things that I've really enjoyed about uh, working with Darko is just what a visionary he is and how how ahead of the game that he can be and that that he is I mean He started building residential in downtown, and it really wasn't uh, thought of as being a good idea, but it turned out to be a great idea. Uh, The hotel construction he has done, uh, you know, these are are Darko being ahead of the curve, and I believe he is ahead of the curve. You need someone local to prove to the outside world that, you know, you, you should be building downtown Hamilton office buildings.
0: You, you, There is other competition, of course. The uh, Mercanti Group, um, I can't remember the exact name. It's a long name. Um, they are also interested in doing this. N- not to ask too simple or too stupid a question, but has there ever been any thought of working with them and bringing all these people who are vested or interested in the downtown together as opposed to a competitive bid?
2: Uh, we believe in, in collaboration. And so once a particular vision is established that works for City, uh, we are open to uh, conversations about collaboration. Uh, Both Darko and I know PJ very well, uh, Mercanti, uh, certainly Joe Mancinelli, uh, we know. I mean, there's some really great names in that group uh, that we could certainly see having uh, meaningful conversations on win-wins. But there are slightly different visions right now. And the biggest part of the difference in vision is that uh, Darko sees doubling the size of the existing convention center as really working for him. I mean, the, he owns the Sheridan. It's connected. The uh, the Hilton and, and the Staybridge, Bridge, two hotels that are immediate proximity to the existing convention center. Uh, the intention to build another hotel that's adjacent there. It really creates a wonderful hub for uh, the hotel and convention facility working together and that's what really makes sense and and that's why i think there's a need to take a look at two possible visions that are brought forward uh but i said this in another uh interview as long as the city does something everybody wins on this so uh you know if, if uh, there is uh, a competing opportunity that comes through. uh, It will be good for everyone. Uh, Our perspective is that Darko's vision is tailored for what Darko knows will work for him and that he's prepared to fully fund. And uh, that's the one that is being worked on right now. And then we'll see what happens with uh, collaboration after the fact.
0: Mario Frankovic with the Vrankor Group. Mario, really appreciate the time today. I wish we could do more on this, uh, short on time, but really appreciate you taking a few minutes today. Thanks.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Bill Kelly did a terrific segment, not surprisingly, he always does, but did a terrific segment earlier today on municipal taxes, now I'm not going to harp on all the same issues. Um, you can go to 900CHML.com, go to shows, go to Bill Kelly's show. You can see, you can listen to what he talked about, he and John Best. I got to tell you though, uh, while I'm not going to go on all the points they went on, they are 100% correct. The city, and not just our city, but this city and others, never, seems, never does cut back on taxes. Taxes always go up. We never seem to operate... As a business in the same way that you would expect a business to and we have now something like and I could be a little off on the numbers I don't think I'm too far off we have something like 7600 employees now in this city which seems like we could surely use a little attrition and still find a way to get our services covered at least the services we need and find a way to maybe start cutting back as people are struggling with taxes and maybe not you And maybe not me right now, but if you're a retiree or you're someone who's on a fixed income and you have a house that may have gone up in value, but you don't have more income, the house is not money you can spend. You would have to sell your house to get the money. And then where are you going to go? And it's complicated, but it's all about taxes going up and up and up. Every year, costs go up and eventually it becomes unsustainable. That's the part Bill and John talked about. I'll leave it there. But there is an interesting thing I want to talk about. And I want to hear from you on this one. And it's an interesting thing about municipal taxes. And that is this. By law, municipalities are not permitted to run a deficit. Let me say that again. By law, cities cannot run a deficit. Cities must have a balanced budget every year. It's very different from provincial and federal governments. They can run deficits. They can build up massive debts. Ontario currently owes something like $350 billion dollars. Canada owes $768 billion. They're allowed to overspend whatever the taxes are that are coming in and stash that away and eventually we'll get to it maybe. Cities can't do that. And so I have heard some city politicians, some municipal politicians cite this as proof of their financial fiscal responsibility. We can't go in debt, therefore we're spending within our means. We're not allowed to go in debt. We are therefore being fiscally responsible. And maybe, but it's also a bit of a red herring. And here's why. If they were going to set the amount that was their cap, let's say we're going to say, okay, you know what? There, We are only going to add 1% of spending this year, period. End of story. That takes us up to X dollars. And we are now going to jam all of our, costs, our salaries, our capital projects, our maintenance, everything. We're going to add 1% this year and everything has to fit into that. That would force them then to make some decisions to come in under that cap. Instead, they do it the other way. They do it backwards. They say, no, we are going to decide what we have to spend. Then we're going to see how much. More that's going to be, 3%, 4%, 5%, and we will then add that onto your taxes. There's two different ways of doing it. One of them sets the amount of money first and forces you to budget within that amount. The other lets you pretty much spend whatever you decide you have to and raise the taxes to cover that amount. Both of them keep you from running a deficit, but two very, very different systems. Now, that said, while it is as I say, a bit of a red herring that this then becomes great financial responsibility because you can always raise the taxes to whatever amount you want to cover it, to prevent the deficit. It's not an entirely bad thing, and I'll tell you why, and I want to hear from you on this one because it got me thinking, how would our provincial and federal governments do differently, do things differently if they were required to act in the same way? So if the city is going to spend an additional 4% over last year, we are going to immediately, immediately on our taxes, get a bill for an additional 4%. We are going to feel those extra taxes immediately. Whatever the city is going to spend extra, we know what that is. We as voters can then decide whether we're happy with that whether we're satisfied with that, whether we think we're getting value for our money. And if we are, great. And if we're not, theoretically, we can tell them directly or we can tell them at the ballot box. The federal government is running a $28 $28 billion deficit this year. That is $757, roughly, $750, let's say, per Canadian. Family of four, $3,000 for a family of four. Now imagine if they had to operate the same way the city did, which was not to stuff it away down the road, not to say, we'll leave this for your kids. We'll just give you all this stuff to buy your votes. But you're not really going to feel it right now. It's real money. It's real debt. It's real deficit, but you're not going to feel it. We'll, we'll, we'll hide that away. Imagine if they had to operate like cities do and the federal government said, yeah, we're going to operate this $28 billion deficit to try and give everybody everything they could possibly want But you, you family of four, you're going to get an extra $3,000 tax bill this year. How do you think, do you think that governments would operate differently if they had to do it that way? See, I think it would be entirely differently. And quite frankly, I would say that's a way better system. It's not completely an honest system in the sense that, again, it's not really announcing financial prudence. But at least you know what you're paying. At least we're not just hiding it away and stashing it away, all of this debt. At least we would say, you know what, if they want to buy my vote, I can tell you whether that's worth it or not. Are you, and we're going to take a break and I want to hear from you on the the other side. Would you prefer the city way of doing it, where we have to know exactly and we will feel what we're paying for immediately, or do you prefer it where we just throw it down the road and leave it for our kids? I know which one I prefer. (laughs)
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: City is trying to whittle down the increase that we're going to have to pay. Right now, it's looking like, I think the number was like $145 per person, per household, pardon me, that will be coming our way, which, you know, $145 on its own, it's not going to kill too many people, but every year it's $140, $120, $150, whatever. Every year there's an increase And at some point, you say, okay, we get it. We get it. It's becoming unaffordable. It's becoming tougher, plus all the other expenses that are all going up. And so just before the break, I was talking about, and I want to hear from you on this one, municipal taxes, they decide how much they're going to spend. And then they tell you how much more your taxes are going to be because they are not permitted by law to run a deficit. So if they have to bring up spending by 5%, you immediately get a 5% increase on your tax bill. Not fun, but at least you know how much money is being spent. You feel it immediately. Unlike provincially and federally, where they will tell you, oh, we're going to cut your taxes, but they're overspending. A $28 billion federal deficit this year, that money, borrowed stuffed into some other place where we're going to have to pay for it later on. But right now you don't have to feel it. So it doesn't really feel like it's costing you anything. We can just spend and spend and spend. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, you know, I don't want my municipal taxes to go up three or two or 4%, but at least I can tell if they're doing a good job. At least I can feel it and make a decision for myself. Which one do you prefer? The idea of throw it into a, Loan for way down the road and let your kids and your grandkids deal with it, or let me deal with it now, but at least let me know what we're paying in taxes. 905 645 3221 9900. Frank is up first today. Frank, how are you?
3: I'm quite well. You really hit a nerve on this one, and you often do. You're a topical kettle cooker, you are there. Well, thank you, and get all those people all around. But I'll tell you, Scott. I don't know if you ever heard of what is back in my day. The, it, it's the Pareto principle. Okay. Now the trivial, the trivial many versus the vital few. I think this is what's wrong in this city. They got to get that whiteboard up there at City Hall and draw a line down the center and get the two, one side to the other, and really take a look at what what is trivial and what is vital. Okay. But I want to leave you with this. I just went through in the last year or so. 30 years, Scott, 30 years of municipal taxes in my drawer, and not one, from one year to the other, showed a reduction.
0: <laughs> yeah. So now, I, you're I not surprised you're that. by that. You're not surprised by that, Frank. Pardon me? You're not surprised by that. No,
3: I, no, I wasn't surprised. No, but I'm I hope good. The fact that I, yeah. I, I know people live in Burlington and they, you know, they do everything we do and they have everything we want. And you know the story, you're going to get this all over, all, all, all over the place. We're, we're in Hamilton. I'll just, if you give me another minute, I'll tell you what. We lost a lot of tax base in this city over the last 25, 30 years. The whole industrial belt took off. Yet Hamilton still wants to go for the moon. You know what I mean? You can't have it all.
0: Frank, I thank you for that call. Thanks so much. Uh, Look, I I agree with Frank. We need to have sharper pencils at City Hall, even if it's going to hurt a little bit. 7,600 employees, give or take. We can't get by by allowing through attrition. I'm not talking about layoffs. I'm not talking about firing. When people leave or when people retire, we can't allow few hundred of those jobs to go away and say, you know what everyone in the private sector is working extra hard now. no one's having it easy to work a little more, do a little bit more to cover for those people and now I realize there's unions and all the rest of the stuff, but it would sure save a lot of money. But besides that we have to also decide are there things that we just are going to be able to do without rather than raising taxes all the time? But back to the point would you rather have the municipal system, which even though it's painful now, I would, which is whatever increase hits your taxes immediately, or would you prefer to have the federal-provincial system where they just hide it for down the road? And eventually it's going to hit us, but we don't have to pay for it right now. Fred joins us. Fred, how are you?
4: All right, Scott. Nice to hear from you. You too. Uh, what I was taught when I was a kid, and I, I still use it, my dad told me, when you use your credit card, you got to pay it now or pay it later. you still got to pay it. And this is the way life is with uh, owning your own business and life as you go along with your paycheck. You know you got to pay the piper down the road. Taxes, bills, whatever. It's up to you to control your life accordingly.
0: But Fred, let me jump in for a sec, because you know, one of the funny things about this, and you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, except in this case, it's not you or I probably that are going to have to pay these federal debt charges it's our kids or our grandkids and yet the same people who would say I'm okay with that if you said all right are you okay then running up massive gambling debts that when you die your kids are going to get stuck with those and you would say not in a million years I don't want to leave my kids saddled with those
4: but the whole thing is this Scott that gets me with the city the the aldermen. they don't look at life the way you and I are out here they make this big money and they spend our money. Like for them lately they've been saying the word billion. LRT and all this other the word billion is very easy. And Toronto, the same thing. They're getting a lot of taxpayers' money from you and I too to pay for the TTC. Like it's terrible.
0: It's, it's a money. it's it's big money. Fred, I gotta run. I thank you for the call.
4: Much greed. That's what's going on, Scott.
0: I thank you for the call. I I'm not I, I'm not gonna go along with Fred on one thing. I'm not gonna say that this is all about counselors being greedy. Yes, they are paid well. I think what this is is counselors many times, most times, are faced with very difficult choices and don't want to have to be unpopular because they have to get reelected. So given a choice between cutting something that's going to lead to blowback or adding a little extra tax money. They're going to go generally, and not just in Hamilton, everywhere. They're going to go with the, well, we'll just raise it by a little bit. We'll just raise it by a little bit, as opposed to saying, you know what? We just can't afford to do it anymore. We just can't afford to. But I would still take this way over the dumping everything into a debt that we never see until our kids and our grandkids are stuck with it. It's still better to feel it right now, because then we know how much we're paying. We feel it, how much we're paying. doesn't feel good. But at least we feel it.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Brian is with us. Brian, how are you tonight?
5: I'm good, Scott. How are
0: you? I'm great, thanks.
5: Hey, I agree with your statement on uh, about the city employees. That, you know they're a little fat. I think they could definitely trim some dollars there. Uh, the preference to the municipal way versus the federal provincial way. Uh, I don't think there's an option there. I don't think the province or the feds could do it because I don't think they have any handle on what it is they're spending.
0: Well, so, that, that's true. I, I, I'm looking at it as a theoretical point. If they were required to um, not put it into some f- like years down the road payback thing, but immediately pass it on to you, I guarantee you they would be tighter on how they're spending
5: but I tell you, they'd be doing a lot of looking and digging because I really don't think they actually know what
0: they spent. <laughs> Brian, I thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, let me go to Dave. Dave, how are you?
5: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Nice to talk to you again. Scott. You
0: too. Thanks for calling. What do you think about this?
5: Well, I I, I think the municipal way of uh, balancing the books and not spending money you don't have is the right way to go, and we shouldn't burden our kids and grandkids any further than we already have um so i i agree with that approach but it's kind of related to the previous uh, segment that you had about you know economic development in the city and so if the city would balance the books and be fiscally responsible and look for ways to generate revenue and generate tax dollars the focus should be generating dollars and i love your attrition idea of uh, you know, reducing the size of government we have, and, uh
0: yeah, nobody yeah. wants nobody wants people fired or laid off, but people do retire and leave.
5: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, the attrition idea is great. Reduce the size of government, and then certainly if you did that, you could focus uh, your energies on um, on looking for ways to increase revenue. And I love the uh, I love the uh, the concept of entertainment district in downtown Hamilton as an economic driver Um, and you and I have talked before about convention centers and stadiums and arenas and so I love that idea and I hope that certainly has wings and I also hope the Hamilton 100 Commonwealth Games bid uh, comes to fruition because that's another economic driver so with more revenue uh, certainly we've should be able to uh have the same level of
1: service
0: dave i appreciate i appreciate i gotta appreciate the call thank you so much uh look and and the downtown entertainment district uh, explore it absolutely just make sure that this is not costing more with some hidden things that we don't know about because it sounds great hey city doesn't have to pay anything okay let's make sure but back to this one for just a sec Got only a few seconds left. If you want to jump in, now's the time. 905-645-3221, star nine nine zero zero. I don't know if you know this, but based on what the provin- uh, the federal and I'm only talking federal. I'm leaving provincial out of this right now. The federal budget this year, which I think is three hundred and sixteen billion dollars, that means that the average Canadian, the average now we don't all pay equal because some make more, some make less. The average Canadian family of four you know how much they pay a year in taxes? That would make $34,000 of federal taxes. So now you tell me that you're going to throw another with this new $28 billion we're spending in deficit. You're going to throw that on top. So the average family of four might spend $37,000 a year in federal taxes. You are going to tell me that if we had to pay everything right now, and none of it was going to be in deficit, none of it was going to be added down the road, that you're going to tell me that the federal government would not be looking much, much harder at what it was spending because people would start to lose their minds and say, you're taxing me again. You're taxing me another $3,000 a year. I can barely pay my bills now. And you're going to throw $3,000 more This is the, the municipal way hurts. We get hit with taxes year after year. We don't like it. its I would prefer that they would sharpen their pencils and cut rather than adding every single year, but at least the way we do it, we get to know what we're being hit with. It's not a surprise for our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids down the road, but at least it didn't hurt us. That's a crappy way to do business.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: All right, let me bring in our buddy Bubba O'Neill from CHCH Sports, who I believe is getting on a plane any moment to fly down to the Super Bowl, correct?
6: Oh, I wish. <laughs> I wish. I take I take uh, I take the flight to Miami just to watch from a bar.
0: <laughs> well, around these these days, I'd take a flight to Miami too. I mean, uh, you know, provided it wasn't coming directly from some place that was a hot spot for the coronavirus. But yeah, otherwise,
6: <laughs> that goes without saying, of course.
0: So, uh, are you a better? Are you a, like a gambler, better?
6: No, no. But no. Here's my philosophy when it comes to that, just very quickly here. Is it, 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 you know I get it. I think it you know it obviously adds a little juice, a little action to watching any type of sporting event, or if you're into that kind of things. And I know there's these weird prop bets that are always entertaining that pop up this time of the year. Uh, it generates so much money and interest. But I don't know. I feel like we work so hard for whatever we earn.
0: Right? I'm with you.
6: Like why, like gambling or gambling is designed for you to lose, right?
0: Years, years ago, I I was at, I worked at another place and they had one of those office lottery ticket, lotto 649 or whatever pools. And I was in it. Uh And I think we got five of the six numbers and each of us won like $70. And I I said, I'm never going to do better than five numbers. And this is all I got. I'm out. I'm out. I, you know, I look. I, I anyway. So yes, I, I'm with you. But I do want to ask you about this. You mentioned the prop bets. I'm going to give you a couple of these or a few of these. These are real bets that you can wager on if you're of that inc- inclination uh, about the Super Bowl. So here we go. Will a player leave the game and not return due to concussion symptoms? <laughs> That's kind of kind of gritty, but nonetheless, yes or no? No. No. Okay. No is uh, no is the favorite. I think in this one. Um, okay. Will any scoring drive take less time? A score, a full scoring drive. Will any scoring drive take less time than it takes Demi Lovato to sing the anthem?
6: I agree. Yes, on that. Uh,
0: when people tend to sing the anthems at sporting events, they tend to ring every single note out of that anthem. They take forever. So I'm going to go with yes as well. I remember when Mike Tyson had a fight with the fight with Michael Spinks years ago, knocked him out in what was it? 93 seconds, 91 seconds. Yeah. And I can't remember who it was who sang the anthem. I think it was, um, who was the, uh, the R&B uh, singer, the guy, really sexy voice? He died of a stroke a few years ago. Luther Vandross Luther was Van the guy, there. yep. Uh, her, Barry White. Luther Vandross, and I think his was two and a half times as long as the fight. <laughs>
6: uh, I, I think they have her timed, like, I think L- Lovato's actually done it once before, and I think she was timed a, a shade over two minutes.
0: Yeah, you know, when you sing it like she does and you hit nine notes per note, It takes a while. Uh, Okay, then here's one. The number of women who will claim to have slept with Jimmy Garoppolo, the San Francisco 49ers quarterback, during Super Bowl week. Over one or under one?
1: Oh,
6: there's always going to be one, so I'm going to go with the over there. Especially if he wins.
0: Yeah, if he he wins, they're going to be coming out everywhere. Uh, What color will the Gatorade be that is dumped on the winning coach? Well, it has to be red. Well, red is not the favorite. Orange is the favorite. Really? Uh, sorry, no. Uh, the favorite is yeah. The favorite is yellow, followed by red, clear. When have they ever poured clear? Uh, orange, blue, and purple is the long shot. If you want to make so some serious dough, go with purple. They're
6: going with the OG, uh, the OG uh, Gatorade.
0: Will Troy Aikman, who's doing the game as a color commentator, will Troy Aikman mention his past Super Bowl experiences? Yes or no?
6: Uh, he, you know what? He's one of the guys that doesn't really like to go back into what I used to do or whatever. But I believe that that Joe Buck will pull it out of him.
0: I, I think that would be a yes. And then there's one other I won't ask you about because this one you can bet on it at an adult website and it is entirely inappropriate. So I'll leave that one. I'll leave that one there. <laughs> Um, It is Super Bowl week, however, and that means that much like at the NHL finals, Gary Bettman gives his State of the Union address. Roger Goodell gave his State of the Union address for football for the NFL. A couple things I want to ask you about. Uh, By the way, anyone who doesn't know, Super Bowl is on Sunday. So just if you're wondering why we're talking about this, I, I forgot to mention that off the top. I sort of assumed everyone knew. But anyway, just in case. The question, as comes up every single time, you know, at the Grey Cup, the question is always about what do you tell your players about whether they can have sex the night before the game? It's a stupid question, but it's all ha-ha-ha, hilarious. The old shaky hunt question. The question at the Super Bowl is perpetually, is Toronto getting a team, Roger? And he, of course, gives the old answer of, oh, I love Toronto. Toronto's a wonderful city, blah 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 And yet... Bubba, we're never getting an NHL, and when I say we, I mean Southern Ontario. We're not getting an NFL team, right? Ever? No,
6: no. I, I think I, I think he continued to talk about you know the prospects of that possibly ever happening. Would be. You know, uh, I would think, in my opinion, I don't know the exact number they're thinking of in the National Football League, but it would have to be a stadium that could hold a minimum of of 65,000 people.
0: Which is going to be at least, in 2020 dollars, a billion and a half, maybe two in Canadian dollars, two billion dollars just for the stadium.
6: You know, and remember, it would have to be a field that would somehow be able to retrofit for the Argonauts as well too. <laughs> oh, because are you're going to have a building that just sits there and only has what eight games played all year long.
0: I think if the NFL comes to Toronto, the Argos could play at York University's soccer field. Oh my goodness. There there oh, they no. would be there would be not many people buying oh, into the Argos no. at that point. That. Oh. Well, but it's true. I mean, look, if if an NFL team came to Toronto, it's not, don't worry about it. But if it did, the Argos are toast. I mean, they would have to they would be playing in Renfrew. Uh, or, you know, anywhere they could find a, a stadium with 200 seats. Um,
6: could the league survive without Toronto?
0: Y- yeah, it, it, it would be different for sure, but I think it, it probably could. Um, I mean, Bubba, the league is surviving for all intents and purposes without Toronto now. Nobody in Toronto cares about the Argos. I know they draw some TV numbers, but I don't know how many of those are coming out of Toronto. Uh, and... The team is not hasn't been very good except for little spits and spats here and there. Yeah, of course but, they could. You
6: know what? And that's. You have, but you know what? You're right. You're right in some ways. But I, I'd have to debate that in some ways, Scott, because I think that team has won what two Grey Cups in the last five years. Oh, they
0: won more than the tie Cats. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, hate I to I hate to scratch a scab. Stars. Yeah, no, I, they they have, and as I say, in spits and spats, all of a sudden, every few years, they come out of nowhere and they're really good, and then they go right back to being dumpy again. But they do win those Grey Cups every few years. But eve every time they do, nobody cares. I mean, they have a big crowd for the Grey Cup game, and then it's back to family and friends the next year when they start again. Now, so if
3: they,
6: if they can't generate some type of presence with Pinball Clements running running the Fort franchise, I mean. To me, that's right. There is the white flag. But like, this is the last,
0: last uh, stop. But we've had many last stops, and it's still going, and that's a good thing. I mean, that all the signs that this was going to be dead have all gone past, and they haven't been dead. But I mean, going to BMO Field was supposed to be the salvation. This was going to be great. It's outdoors, and it's smaller, and it's intimate, and it's not Roger Center. And that didn't do anything. And then we're going to play it on better days of the week, so we can have tailgate parties, and that didn't work. And then we're going to have Mark Tressman come in, and that didn't work. And we're going to have big quarterback. That didn't work. So look, I I don't know, but but no, I, I back to the NFL thing. I mean, Roger Goodell, the man's a politician, if nothing else, and he said he's not going to say Toronto is never getting a team because no, he wants people in Toronto to watch.
6: No,
0: but we're never getting a team in this no, area. No, no,
6: I've always maintained that if the league is going to have any type of international expansion, in my opinion, they would be in Mexico. That will be. I mean, I know that people talk about London. Well, he
0: talked about London at this meet, at this press conference today extensively.
6: Well I think and I think there's a big tease there, um and I know they do play a lot of games there, but i, I just think that because of the proximity to california uh, the ease of travel, I mean you're talking about i mean and I know football is only a one off right because you you generally just play one game a week, so you know you know actually going to England makes sense, but I still think you know at least I know I've talked to people that I know that live in that country, and it's still sort of um I, they've told me they don't know if it would work as a as a team for the whole season that it's yeah. kind of an event more you know to go to those one or two games a year
0: and you could do it i mean when you talk about the travel it would take some doing you could do it you could you could make it so that i think the only way it would work is that if the team in london played all their games on the road at the start of the year and all their games at home so you're not traveling back and forth across mm-hmm. the ocean and then every team that has to go play in london gets the bye week the week after so you're not expected to be operating on a completely wacky system I I mean you could do it it could be done I just I I, yeah who knows Um, the other really interesting thing today and this is what I wanted, and you you know I wanted to ask you about this one because I think you would have an interesting perspective on this the other issue that came up and was talked about extensively at Roger Goodell's press conference was about the Rooney rule and for those who don't know what the Rooney rule is it was put in place to try and get minorities opportunities as coaches and it hasn't worked, at least well, whether the Rooney rule hasn't worked or just the whatever hasn't worked, there are very few black or other minority head coaches or even coordinators in the NFL. And Bubba, I I don't under I, I just don't understand this because at their core, all the guys who have put billions of dollars or whatever into buying these teams at their core, yes, they are businessmen, but they are insanely competitive. And I look at this and I think, if if Joe, whoever, black, white, Asian, doesn't matter, was the best guy, and you thought that he could lead you to a Super Bowl, I don't, I don't see owners saying, no, I don't want him because he's that. I don't understand how there are not more minority coaches at this point.
6: Well, it, it's a mystery to me, and it it is not working. Um, the original intent. Which was put together by Mr. Rooney, uh, you know, one of the fine owners of the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, who has a black cat you know, and obviously he's passed on since. But I mean, there is a black coach in Pittsburgh, and has been there for many years. In fact, you know, the stability of that franchise in terms of their coaches has been unbelievable. But they've had what three coaches in 50 years? Yeah. Now, regardless, though, uh, there have been several people that haven't been given consideration. Um, the enemy and, and you know who, who could you know is a wonder kid in terms of an offensive coordinator in Kansas City hasn't even received a, a, an, an invitation why? You know, and I don't understand it. It's a, it's a mystery to me. I we, we see these young people, we see these young coaches coming out of college that have absolutely no experience in the National Football League, getting head coaching opportunities ahead of many of the guys, uh, minorities and, uh, that have been grinding it out for years in 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 the National Football League. And uh, and what we're hearing, um, the Dallas Cowboys who uh, hired uh, Mike McCarthy as their head coach. Um, you know, there's apparently gratis interviews that were really one that I, I was told last twenty lasted twenty minutes, and you talk to most people in, that are in the know in the National Football League, and when there's a coach interview, it could go sometimes a full day. Yeah, um, and, and look, I mean, it, you know, Marvin the, Lewis is the guy that was interviewed by by Jerry Jones, and it and it lasted short of a half an hour. Well, and, and the guy, Marvin Lewis, that's won several. Several divisions, been to the playoffs, been a coach in the you know in the National Football League for many years.
0: But forcing a team to interview someone to to me is it's just show because
6: I, 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 is, is it forcing or at least consideration?
0: Well, it, clearly it's not causing consideration. You're you're required by law to interview some minority coaches. Clearly, that's not getting teams to suddenly say, "Wow, I had no idea that guy was that good." That's just not happening. But I go back to my point, if if we're saying that all these qualified coaches are out there who aren't getting looked at, and I'm not disagreeing with you, what possible explanations could we throw on that except for the nuclear explanation, which maybe is the case, but I mean, are are we going to take the position that all or most of the owners of NFL teams are racist? I, I, I don't. I don't think we can go there. I don't.
6: I, I, well, I, I think that might be going a bit far. I, I, I think just because you're not hiring black doesn't mean you're a racist, right? Like that. That I don't think that's what's being said here. But I think there is a definite case where many people, for whatever reason, are not getting opportunities, or maybe particular coaches are just locked on, or particular owners. My my apologies there are locked on to particular people and aren't just aren't giving. I mean, we're, to, we're at the point now, there was just a, you know, it wasn't all that long ago where black coaches and black assistant coaches and coordinators were limited to black schools, to black universities. And, you know, Yeah, Howard, you
0: went to work at Grambling,
6: you know, Grambling, Howard, you know, there's a number of them out there, especially many in the South. But there are there are many filtered throughout the league right now that seem to be stuck. And there are documented cases of this. And, and I don't disagree. There are documented disagree. cases of these guys getting interviews, short-changed in interviews, and curious
0: hires. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, and, and I don't it, get I, it. I
6: don't know how you change it. I don't know what you do. These people are a lot smarter than I am. But from the outside watching in, it, 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 it I feel like there is change that's
0: needed. I don't. I, as I say, I just don't get it because I look at these owners, and they would – kill each other to win a Super Bowl and if there's a guy that is out there that is showing great talent and great ability and is forward thinking and creative and all the rest I, I just can't understand them not wanting to try that guy now is it
6: yeah, but, but, but I think you're right there Scott but I think there's also an element of boy, I don't want to generalize here but I mean the discussion we're kind of having forces me to say this there are many owners in the National Football League that are of a particular age group that might not be used to giving blacks opportunities.
0: But is it the, uh, truly the owners own the team, but is it truly the owners who are making that call? I mean, obviously they're going to have the final say, but if a general manager comes to the owner and says, I want to hire this guy, I can't imagine there's too many owners saying, no, I've hired you to do this job, but you can't do it. So I think it's not as high as the ownership. I think it's somewhere before the ownership, but I don't know where.
6: I, I don't know. I, I still feel like the owners have the final say and they, they, they are in these interviews, some of them. There are very active owners, Jerry Jones being one of them, that would be conducting the interviews, that would be doing the sit downs, that are very active. There are not all not all owners are like this, but many are. Even the guy in Buffalo, Terry Pagula. I mean, Terry and Kim, they sit in on the, the, the hiring practices of people and conduct the meetings. So there are many. And, and I'm just wondering if there's some maybe old school mentalities that have not left. I mean, there, we have, we've seen, yes, a definite change over the years in many cases, in many sports of younger owners that are that don't have color in their eyesight or in their mindset. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah, I I, I, maybe
6: they they see they see a guy like a Mike McCarthy and say, okay, I'm I'm saying, oh, I'm going to hire him because he's white. But he's older. He's established because many of these these coaches that were, you know, they're not getting opportunities are up and coming black coaches.
0: My hope with this. And, and I, I mean, again, I, I have no better idea than anyone else. Uh, and certainly, you know, the NFL has put a lot of time into this and they haven't solved it. So I, we're probably not going to in five minutes. But <laughs> um, is that, I mean, there have been some black coaches that have been hired that have, it has not gone particularly well. But to then say, well, that shows that somehow we shouldn't. About any coach. I know. I, that, that's my point. Like, you, you look, what, what's his name? Who was the coach of the BC Lions this year for one year? He came from Calgary.
4: Oh,
6: uh, Devontae Claybrook. Thank you.
0: And it didn't go particularly well, but then, are you going to turn around and say, well, look, we well, hired, hired a black a, coach and he, it didn't was, work? He
6: was, but he was hired by another
0: black man. I, well, I, Regardless, I'm just saying, if you're going to point and say, well, it didn't work, well, that, that that's the most ridiculous. Nobody would do that. I can't believe... That would be ludicrous. That would be like saying, well, you know, we've tried some left-handed guys and they didn't work, so only hire a right-handed. Everyone is uniquely themselves and has skills or not skills. And so, look, I, to me, it just, the Rooney rule has always seemed stupid because you're simply requiring teams to put on a show as opposed to doing something. But I don't think you can also turn around and say, you must hire a minority head coach or you must have a minority head coach or coordinator. Maybe that's the next step. I don't know. But boy, this this it does seem odd that there seems to be so many bright, forward thinking, creative young black minds in football, and none of them seem to be able to find their way into the coaching the high coaching ranks.
6: You know, I I can just hope that there are some changes or whatever. And again, I, and I I I I refrain in the way you say that too. I'll, I'll repeat that as well too. I, and I never want it to be a. I would hope it would never get to a point that you have to hire, right? Like it's. But I just think uh, I've read too many articles from reputable writers in the National Football League that have been around for many many years. That's to say that there have been many black coaches that they have listed off, up-and-coming guys that have been given gratis interviews, right? And, it, and that, to me, is just not right, right? Because then they could say, oh, we
0: interviewed this person. Well, and exactly. It's, it's just a show.
6: It's a show. Like I guess it's a show. And to me, that is not the spirit, the actual spirit of the Rooney Rule, um, which I believe was developed in very good faith, because at the time it was developed, it was out of hand. How how and, I, and yes. that's yep. the time when I, when I will say there was absolute discrimination in the league in, in terms of blacks being hired for me, not just head coaching positions, assistant coaching positions. It was unbelievable.
0: Yeah, uh, and I and I also I I don't and I won't throw the racism. Thing around because here's the thing, I, it's a real dangerous thing to start anticipating or trying to guess what the motive is behind someone's decision to hire a coach or not. I, I don't, I don't know what the reason is. I just hope that it's not that. I hope that there's some other coincidental thing, and I'm not gonna blanket that this guy or that guy or this group of people are all racist that 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 only gets people in trouble but that's not fair at all but boy it 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 does seem like it's something that there should be a whole lot more people a whole lot lot more minorities with these kind of jobs
6: and i'll I'll say this and and i and i mean this from the bottom of my of my heart and and i've always said this to people thank goodness for the canadian football league
0: mm-hmm well, they seem to have done it a whole lot better. Let's uh, let's put it that way. Not just with coaches, with quarterbacks, with uh, with all kinds of all kinds of things. Let's hope. I mean, may, you know, who knows? Maybe at some point we're going to get this thing that just you get one or two minorities who get an opportunity and they do really well, and all of a sudden everyone says like it's a copycat league, like every league, and they all of a sudden say, hey, that guy came from there. Maybe we got to find a guy like him who came from there. I don't mean like him black i mean like him from where he came and the 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 route that he came up in coaching and he happens to be a minority so we'll bring him in anyway it's it's uh, let's hope Let's hope because it's uh, it's about time, Bubba. We got to run. Appreciate the time as always. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Enjoy those prop bets, and uh, you can go and look up that one I couldn't tell you about because it was from the adult website. Um, I, I'm not repeating it, but is you can go where look you get it up. Your, your information? No, it was on this uh, list of other prop bets, and I thought, you know what? Nope, nope, not doing it. Not going there today. It's just uh, too awkward to talk about that one. But uh, feel free. You're anyway, got to run. Have a Sorry, good one. Take care. That is Bubba O'Neill from Chch.